This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So I want to welcome Jeff Belanger. Ron Jay, how do you say your last name? I just totally butchered it twice. So I'm <laughs> uh, Belanger. <laughs> Belanger is how I pronounce it, unless I'm north of the border or over in France, and then it's Belanger. I know it's confusing. Jeff is fine, but Belanger is how. Yeah, I well, not like butchered. I had to get it out there right. Um, yeah, all good. How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm great. It's uh, it's the fall. The busy season's gearing up. Time for ghosts and monsters and everything that bumps in the night. I think some people think I, I hibernate all year and wake up sometime in September and then go through Christmas and then sleep again, um, which isn't totally wrong, but you know, it's an exaggeration. It, it does seem that way. I'll be honest, Fo- following you for a while now, it does seem like you just, um, you found the edge of the Florida f- flat earth and disappear off the other side for a little bit. <laughs> right. I did. Yeah. I followed it right until I <laughs> went over and, uh, the big conspiracy against big globe that's been pushing us around for too long uh, was, was proven. And um, they're going to lose dozens of dollars when I go big with my story. So we'll take them out. How are you doing, Jim? We, I didn't ask. I feel rude. How are you? No, I'm doing pretty good. It's exciting to have you on and I'm excited for fall, right? Cause that's our favorite time of year. Us in the paranormal Absolutely. world. Yeah. So, so good. That's your, your, is this, this must be your newest book. Let's get this. It is so go. new. It's probably still warm you think, in your hands. I, I thought it was when I got in the mail the other day. Like, I was like, wow. So, uh, the, the fright, uh, the fright before Christmas, the surviving Krumpus and other Yuletide monsters. So, help me out here. Cause I've read part of it. I didn't get through of it yet. So, you're gonna, don't, don't kill me yet. Uh, no, there's, so there's what, some big I words mean, in there. I get it. Um, but lots of pictures. Am I right? Um, yeah. It's, so yeah. <laughs> I, I get the confusion. I've been known as a Halloween guy for like 25 years now. And that's <clears throat> been my favorite holiday because it's so spooky and I love spooky things. However, something occurred to me. It was a few years back now. I was hanging Christmas lights early one December uh, on my home. And it was really cold that morning and my fingers were frozen and you know, the wreath I was hanging up literally like broke and fell to the ground. And I was just like, why am I doing this? Why am I out here in the cold? Half the lights don't work. You know, I mean, why am I doing this? Why the wreath? Why the tree? Why Santa Claus? Why December 25th? Why, 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 why? And I'm the kind of person that doesn't sleep well. Wait, wait, you, wait. Have... You, were, you were just looking for an excuse to go inside. That's all this was. This book is That's... an excuse for you to stop hanging the flight. <laughs> you're not far off you're not um but i wanted to know right my, my dad hung a wreath up my grandfather hung a wreath up why am i doing it and so i started sort of going down this rabbit hole and uh krampus was starting to heat up he was, he was getting more interesting he was coming back out of the shadows and as i did more research i learned that halloween is the second most frightening holiday of the year and it's a distant second by the way i mean way far back it's not a close race Christmas is the most frightening when you think about it. Uh, so, and what's interesting too, is that all over the world, there's, there's like four major holidays and four minor holidays. 
and they all coincide with the solstices and the equinoxes, right? Those, those are dictated by the sun, by God, the universe, whatever word you term to use. And so the solstices tend to be big holidays and halfway in between tends to be small holidays. Halfway between uh, uh, summer and winter is, of course, fall, the autumnal equinox. And that's kind of like the sunset on, on the year. It's coming up soon, right? I mean, that's the sunset on the whole year. And then uh, halfway between the equinox and the solstice is the half holiday, which would be Halloween, November 1st, November 2nd, you know, right in there. That's that's what we call All Hallows Eve or Halloween. It's our day of the dead. And at that point, the sun is really setting and it's going to get the coldest and darkest on the winter solstice, which is what this holiday has always been about. The longest night, the shortest day. If you live far enough north, the sun doesn't even rise again and you're wondering if it'll ever come back. There's monsters. Do you have enough food? Uh, you have to stay inside to stay safe. It is absolutely frightening uh, this time of year, especially if you go back just a century or two. Um, it's really a, a time of peril. And so many great monsters and stories and ghosts came out of that time period. And they're still sort of mixed in with our, our Christmas lore. And it's an amazing story. It's it's incredible when you when you sort of take apart this whole holiday and put it back together again. To me, it became a lot more meaningful. It's way bigger than the birth of Jesus. It's it's hardly about that whatsoever. But if you want to celebrate the birth of Jesus, you're more than welcome. You can do that any day of the year you like. December 25th is as good as any other. But uh, but, but it was never really about that. It was about the solstice. It was about coming together, uh, sharing food, sharing resources, giving gifts, because we know the only way to get through the winter is to look out for each other. Yeah. And it I've I've done I've done some of that digging too, just because, and then I, I see more in your form, which was much better than the research I did, and I was like, whoa, just these little little like the tree and like it's just like, how do you know we just take it for granted now? There it goes, put it up, but now you know then you start looking into it, and you're just like. <laughs> well, so the thing about Christmas, right, is that it's always been sort of like packaged nostalgia, like from it's always yeah. that it's always like, I mean, think of the TV commercials you see every holiday, right? There's the car commercial where someone buys their loved one a car. Like, never happened to yeah. me, but you know, like, there's the big bow on it, and you're like, oh, and the nice music, and your warm heart, and you're sipping cocoa. It's like they're they're always trying to sell us this nostalgic thing that um, is just it's just packaged, and it doesn't make it wrong. This holiday, especially in the United States, has become about consumerism, which isn't wrong either. I'm not I'm not even poo pooing that. I mean, the economy must roll on. We all depend on it. Um, but at the same time, you're allowed to define this holiday however you want. And what it's supposed to feel like anyway, if you think about it, was defined by a ghost story, like the greatest ghost story possibly ever told in A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. You know, we know that story because we've seen the Muppets do it. We've seen it on stage. We've seen cartoons do it starring like Jim Carrey. You know, we, we've seen it every way, shape or form. Maybe you've even read the book. It's an incredible story about how we get older and more miserly and cranky and humbug. But this one night, if we're haunted by our past, we have the chance to be redeemed and change. And that's so comforting to us that maybe it could all change in a single night if the magic works on us. And if you let it, it can. And it can become part of your own holiday tradition if we're scared. But there's no, I've yet to find anybody who can change without being a little bit scared or a lot a lot scared of something in our lives. It takes that fear to, to you know, forge change. 
Yeah, I was listening to a podcast last night, I think it was. I was going to say this morning, but I think it was last night. It's all blurring together, so we'll just say I was listening to a right. podcast, and they were t- they were talking about those big moments in life that you either react to or just embrace and take it for what it's worth. And, yeah, that's kind of the point of the revisiting your past. Like, it's yeah. crazy, though. It's a big day, and and as as you get older, you know, you th- like like Christmas becomes a waypoint in the year, just like your birthday, just like January first, just like you know whatever day is significant to you. You you can't help but reflect on those days in past years and where you've come and where you've gone and who's still with us, who's lost, who's been lost. You know, like it becomes a, a measuring stick for your life. And thinking back to your own childhood, I'm a dad as well, so you know when my daughter was really young, it was important to me to have the magic of Santa and and uh, Christmas and everything else be a big part of her life because it was a huge part of mine and I loved it and I still love it. I love it from every angle. Um, I love it more now that I understand that some of the meaning is about protecting ourselves from evil spirits and honoring the dark and deadly winter and, and, and understanding that we do these things to protect ourselves. And even if all we're protecting ourselves from at this point is bad cheer, well, that's still a worthy fight. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm all for that. Nobody wants that negative. Nobody wants that negativity in their life. So yeah, yeah, that's good. We have the internet for that. We could just troll through, you know, social media and see all the nasty stuff. We want some good cheer. There's nothing negative on social media, Jeff. Come on. I must be following all the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> um. So during the research, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a very broad question because I don't want you to give too much away, but I just have to ask this question. Um, during the research for the book, did you come across something? I mean, there's had to have been a couple moments like, oh, wow, I didn't, you know, like, bam. But what's the one that kind of stands out above the rest of them? Oh, I got one of my favorites. Uh, I love this because it's it's just too much fun not to share it. Um, have you ever strung popcorn and cranberries and put it around your tree uh, or some kind of garland, right? Yeah. Lots of us have. So the Nordic people way back when uh, they would look out on the landscape and see that winter kills everything. You know, it kills the flowers and the trees. The trees are are naked and bare. Uh, you know, are they dead? Are they ever going to come back? Are they just skeletons? Uh, the, the ponds and lakes are frozen solid, sometimes even the rivers if it's cold enough. And so they look out at this barren landscape and say, my goodness, it is dangerous and deadly out there. Winter's killed it all except the evergreen the evergreen must be more powerful than winter to stand up to it. And so they would take the branches and put them over their doors and windows that those prickly needles would keep the bad spirits outside. The spirits you can only hear at winter. You can hear them screaming around there. Now, some of the skeptics might say, well, that's just the wind whipping through naked trees and it doesn't sound like that in summer. Maybe you're right, but maybe it's, you know, the Norse god Odin chasing down these spirits. But the evergreen became so sacred, you know, eventually we took them inside, we decorated them and so on. But the Nordic people, when they were out and they would make a kill, they would find an elk or a deer and, and, and make a, a game kill that, that would feed their family, hopefully for you know some time to come. They would pull the entrails out of that animal and drape it around the sacred evergreen as an offering to this, uh, this tree. And so if you would like to have a more traditional Christmas this year, Jim, I'm saying skip the cranberry and popcorn, get yourself some entrails. And just drape it around your your holiday tree. And when someone walks in your house and says, "My God, what is that horrible smell?" You could say that is the smell of a traditional Christmas. And I'm glad I didn't eat my lunch yet. Just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> 
but there's so many little things like you know what everything has a backstory right and, and some people don't even think about it mistletoe trees lights santa december 25th none of this stuff is an accident but it was like a perfect storm from so many different cultures that came together to form this holiday but it was all born out of fear of the coming winter of the long dark night of the short short day and you know are we going to survive that's the season that you i mean you live in spring summer and fall you try to survive the winter it's still true to some degree today even though we've got cars and heating and you know grocery stores and stuff like that i mean you know most of us don't thrive in february you know i mean we we wait for the spring and the summer and the fall oh for sure and if you've ever had your furnace go out for a day in the, yeah. in the winter you you have the all those fun thoughts like oh like, ooh. <laughs> if the, when the furnace goes out in the winter, you're like, I should have draped the entrails around the evergreen outside as an offering, <laughs> you know? And think about it too, like that 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 draped entrails also would feed other animals, which would would, you know, that, that would come and pick off that. And that helps give you more potential food sources. There's lots of logic behind it, not just some gross pagan offering. Uh, <laughs> but I love that we continue the gross pagan offering. But now it's popcorn and cranberries or it's just, you know, little wooden strings or whatever, whatever you you choose to use. It doesn't matter. You're literally offering a garland to this powerful tree that's more powerful than winter. So I'm going to ask you probably the easiest question of the interview. I'm assuming this is available on Amazon, but you can go ahead and give me the hard plug for where people can find it and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, wherever you get your books, uh, it's it's out everywhere. It's an ebook if you want to do an e-reader. It's even an audio book narrated by yours truly. So it's out on Audible and, and everywhere else. And it's um it's a hardcover that's available um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your books. Yeah. I, you know, I, hate, I, I assume everybody knows that by now, but... You know, that's okay. There's always one. <laughs> yeah. No, all good. All good. Yeah. No. And, and I, and, and one last shameless plug and by all means we can move on. But yeah. um, uh, one of my favorite movies is um, nightmare before Christmas, Tim Burton. Right. And yeah. there's long debates about, is that a Halloween movie or is it a Christmas movie? And those of us who love it say, I don't really care. I watch it from like October all the way to January. I'm asking you to shelve my book in your heart right next to that movie and think of it that way uh when you're when it's when it's halloween season when it's october and you're already seeing christmas lights and you're ready to puke if you pull out my book you might just be okay with it i'm just saying miracles have happened is lethal weapon a, a christmas movie oh lethal weapon you mean die hard or lethal weapon oh yeah uh, sorry die, yeah die hard I'm a, my head yeah i all no blur together 80s action movie i get it um so die yeah. hard i'm gonna i'm gonna go in the camp of christmas movie that's that's me and and uh and i understand the arguments against but i'm gonna be in the camp of yes christmas movie <laughs> me too i think it is and I, hey it doesn't stop me from watching it around christmas so <laughs> you can watch it absolutely hey, that's okay, the beauty so of let's the thing. Get into you a little bit because you yeah, yeah, no, far away. Anything you want? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna okay, let's say, get like, into you a little bit. Uh, yeah, fire. So let's get into you a little bit because you've been around the paranormal for quite a while now. So take me back. What got you interested originally? Start way back at the beginning of the time. No, way back in the beginning. Way uh, back I was the, the young whippersnapper growing up in uh, in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. 
And the town next to Sandy Hook is Monroe, Connecticut, which is where Ed and Lorraine Warren live. And so I knew Ed and Lorraine Warren since I was about 13 years old. And growing up where I did, we just, you know, we were, we're sort of steeped in the culture. I mean, I had friends that lived in haunted houses and it wasn't like a Hollywood movie. It was just, yeah, we see this old guy from time to time. We're not even really that scared of it anymore. And I went, oh, wow. I mean, that's not what they tell you in the movies. And then I would attend Ed and Lorraine Warren's, you know, library programs and stuff in the fall. And I just thought this is amazing. So I went to school to be a writer and I started writing for newspapers and magazines. And I loved the Halloween feature because I love history and I love interviewing people. And so that turned into a website called ghostvillage.com way back in 1999. Uh, and then I started collecting <laughs> other people's personal accounts of the paranormal. Then I started writing books and then uh, started working for the show Ghost Adventures back on episode one on the Travel Channel. Been doing that ever since 15 years now, which is amazing that, that people are still watching and supporting us. Uh, and, and it was one of those things where somewhere along the way, I realized, oh my, like this is my full-time job now. Uh, it was not a career I planned, but it's it's one I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. I've met awesome people. I've seen incredible things. I've been all over the world uh, looking for, for ghosts and monsters and everything that bumps in the night. And I absolutely love everything about this subject because it allows us to ask some really big questions. You mentioned being young and having friends with haunted house. It makes me think of that meme where the son asked the dad, can we go to a haunted house? And he's like, what's wrong with this one? And turns the light off. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh yeah. God, I could have used that. <clears throat> Love um, that. So what's, so when, when you were young though, were you, more curious or have you did you see something early i guess is the question when i was young it was mainly a curiosity i remember having sleepovers at a friend's house his house was built in 1760 you know this is older than Ooh, we weren't yeah. even america when that house was built and would have a ouija board out and would try to like make contact and i felt like something was happening but i didn't see anything i was not one of those kids that grew up in a haunted house i didn't have ghost experiences everywhere i looked that wouldn't come until i was an adult uh, and I was interviewing people about their ghost experiences, but I always took like a very objective approach. Like if you told me a story, I would say, well, I believe that you believe, but I wasn't there. So I can't, you know, I don't know. Maybe you were mistaken, but maybe you weren't. I don't know. Jury's out. And then I had my first experience in 2003, 20 years ago now. And I was in the catacombs of Paris, France. And I was surrounded by skeletons everywhere and completely alone. And I saw this shadow figure step out from the side and, and get right in front of me in this long, narrow hallway filled with bones and then go back again. And I just went, oh, this must be what everyone's talking about. You know, I mean, I didn't ask for it. I'm not psychic or sensitive. In fact, quite the opposite. I was just there and something happened. And at that point, it was kind of a game changer because I did lose some objectivity. I'm, I'm like, I don't believe everything that bumps in the night is a ghost. But I realized that the, the I had interviewed hundreds of people by that point about their ghost experiences. And I was like, well, they must be like me. They were just someplace and this thing happened that they didn't ask for. And it's something you'll never forget. I mean, I don't know. Have you seen it? Have you had an experience, Jim? I've had a couple. Yeah. So it, it's interesting the first time, though. Because yeah. after that, you're kind of already kind of skewed to understand what's going on. But the first time it's like, was that real or no? So now when Jim's in a haunted place, he's just like, oh, <laughs> a bunch of ghosts. Yeah, big yawns, whatever. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But actually, yeah. the first time, 
first my first story was that we were at Gettysburg on top of Devil's Den, right? And I had my he was probably one or 18 months, you know, young son in a carrier. And I seen a reenactor, right? I'm like, oh, photogenic guy, me, you know, let's go get the, the picture, right? So I head off that way and I can't find him. I get the whole way down to the parking lot and start talking to people. And they were like, we haven't seen anybody. No, what are you talking about? I haven't, we haven't yeah. seen anybody dressed up like that. I'm like, no, he came down this way. There's one parking lot. There's one way out. Like, where'd he go? And they're like, not here. It wasn't us. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that. No, I've been to Gettysburg many times. <laughs> and that's a story that is played out many, many times. Um, I've talked to reenactors who, uh, you know, they, you know how they do it. They, they camp out there for like days, no cell phones, no radios. That would be a big faux pas. You know, you, you got to live like it's 1860s <laughs> and they'll see, you know, they'll see a reenactor walk by and be like, that uniform's amazing. And of course they're, this is their, their, their hobby. So they're like, Hey, excuse me. Uh, and then the person's gone and you know, you're just like, wow. I mean, it's, it's a game changer, you know, because you, you try to logically explain it. Uh, I hope anyway. And, and when you run out of logic and possible explanations, you're left with something else, ghost, phantom, mm-hmm. right? Something, 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 something happened. Yeah. Like yeah, I said, yeah. I spent the next week thinking right on that through my head. Like there had to have been something somewhere, you know, like, but I've, totally you know, going walking back, back through and I'm like, I didn't, you know, it was, it was eye opening. Yeah, no, I, I get it. it. I get it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and I, so the, the analogy I've used is it's like a lightning strike. Uh, I think a lot of us know that lightning strikes the earth, like many hundreds, if not thousands of times a day all over the planet, but not usually right near where we're standing. If it does strike the ground right near where you're standing, you will never forget that the rest of your life. I promise. Right. Promise. That's, and that's, true. that's true. too. I've had, it, I've had it like 500 feet away. That's yeah. You'll never forget it. You'll never forget <laughs> it. You'll be like, whoa, what if I was over there when when that thing struck? I'd be toast. Uh, you don't forget it. And I, I think the ghost experience is the same thing. You know, sometimes there's storm clouds, you know, sometimes there's thunder and lightning, but you don't really expect it to hit right near where you are. And I think sometimes a ghost is just like that. You are someplace and sure enough, um, it struck and then you don't forget it. So what do you say to those people that are over skeptical? Because you were probably there at one point, like, well, maybe not exactly there, but you know, because we both run into them. I'm sure that I think everything we were up the Creek without the paddle, so to speak. Yeah. I, well, I think sometimes uh, skepticism, skepticism's good. We shouldn't believe everything we hear or read or see, you know, especially in today's age, my goodness gracious. Uh, however, at hey, some I'm point, already a billionaire. <laughs> I'm a billionaire. In my email. So it's been fun, Jeff. We're going to go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You're going to help out that Nigerian prince. Right. And you're, you're rich. Yep. Yep. That's the one he's, he's yeah. a, he's a generous guy. Um, yeah. so I would say at some point skepticism becomes a belief system, right? Where, um, so if you talk to a devoutly religious person, and I don't care which religion you choose to pick, because frankly, I think at some point the mechanisms are all the same. You know, I have bought into this belief system. Anything outside of this belief system is literally heresy. And so atheism 
is still an ism, just like, you know, uh, Buddhism or, or Christianity or, or any, right. It's still, you're, it's still a belief system. And so you have to look at the world and say, there's an explanation for this, no matter what period, no new information can come in because I am devoutly atheistic. I am devoutly skeptical. And I think that's a mistake. I remember seeing, uh, I'm not going to name him because it doesn't matter anyway, but I, he was, um, he's a very prominent skeptic, like he skeptic community. He's written books and published articles and gives talks and Ted talks and all that stuff. And I saw him speak and he was great, really great speaker. And he said, look, 99% of this stuff can be explained away. And I wanted to leap out of my seat and say, I agree with you. It's the 1% that interests me, right? Like I'm right there with you. I have tried to make my career be about that 1% that we can't just explain away. And so to say 99% of, of unusual things can be explained uh, is sort of a cop out because, you know, that that's, that's, so when you tell me your story, I could be like, ah, you were mistaken. You're part of the 99%, even though I wasn't there. It's not fair for me to judge your personal human experience when I wasn't even there. So, uh, so I think at some point, it's it's not constructive, but everybody's going to live their life the way they live their life. I'm willing to allow new information in to change my worldview. And I try to be that way about everything. Okay. So if it's 99%, there's still 1%. You can't be totally, you're bought in. Right. Even at so, 1%, uh, you're bought in. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the Ryan Institute that used to be attached to Duke University, um, there was the Paralab, the Princeton uh, Anomalies Research Lab uh, uh, that was part of Princeton University, they they were running experiments on ESP, right? Where um, uh, like like a, a random number generator, uh, you would sit in front of a machine and it would spit out random numbers between one and a hundred. And uh, uh, the person administering the test might say to you, Jim, I want you to focus on higher than 50, higher, 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 just think it as hard as you can with your brain. Look at the number generator and think higher, 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 higher. Uh, with someone else, they would say lower, right? And, and, and you know, this experiment would be run person after person after person after person. And what should be completely random, what should be absolutely the average should be 50 every time, um, they would find measurably that you could affect the outcome so slightly so tiny, but measurably slightly, it could be, yours would be slightly higher than 50. The person that was focusing on lower sometimes would be slightly lower than 50 and they proved it. And so, uh, and yet people look at that and go, well, whatever, what do you mean? Whatever, like with your mind, you affected the outcome of something that was supposed to be random without even touching it. So what's going on in us that we don't fully understand. I feel like there's still mysteries to be solved and to say that's impossible. Well, yeah, logic would tell you that's impossible. And yet Princeton, an Ivy League school, did it over and over and over, you know? And so uh, if that's the case, well, what else is out there? Suddenly, you know, it's so funny. I mean, I know a lot of people in the UFO community who are just having the greatest year of their lives. They are just <laughs> loving every, they wake up early and they stay up late because they don't want to miss a thing. Every time some, you know, fighter pilot goes before Congress or, you know, someone goes before some government agency and says, here's this, here's that. This is what we know. They've been here. It's real. They're just like, I told you so, right? They're just, they're getting, I told you so tattooed on their foreheads, right? Uh, that show Ancient Aliens is just, every one of them is like, before we begin, I just have one thing to say. I told you so, right? Next interview. <laughs> one quick thing before we start. 
I told you, right? Everybody's just having a field day with this um, because, I, which is good. Like we live in a time where we're, we're starting to admit freely, like we don't have all the answers. And I know that's going to really scare some people. However, um, you know, maybe it'll force us all to ask questions and get to the bottom of it. Well, I've long said, if we're the smartest thing ever anywhere, we're messing this up in a big way. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. It's uh, but it's it's a cool time. We live in an, an age of information like never before, right? There's never been this much information available to most people on the planet at any given time, and it's confusing and it's frightening and it's scary, and it's forcing a lot of us, I think, to go back to like extreme basics. You know what I mean? Whether that's like I want to do away with electricity and live off the grid, fine if that's your bag. I enjoy heat and electricity and AC and cable too much. Um, but, uh, but it's forcing some people to just get so confused that they latch onto something and, and that's where they stay flat earth. You just said it earlier, right? I mean, I've been in airplanes. I've been on really tall mountains. I do not believe the earth is flat. And I also think if the earth is flat, who is, who's winning on that conspiracy, right? Like who's, who, who's <laughs> keeping us right? Like who's the big winner in that? The people that make globes Rand McNally, there can't be that much money in globes. You know, like it's not well, like like pharmaceutical over the course companies. of history. Over the course of history, there's billions of dollars in globes. Come on, <laughs> clearly, but like like pharmaceuticals. Okay, I'm listening. Those folks are making billions of dollars like every day, but globe companies, eh, who else is no, winning? Not really. You know, like every time you use your not. GPS, you know how that works, right? Like satellites are circling the Earth and have to triangulate your position. If the Earth is flat, that's not going to work. Anyway, whatever. We digress. Well, I'll, I'll throw one more fun conspiracy on top of the fire right now because we're here. It's just as bad as the other ones. The birds aren't real one. I've been talking oh, about that. Oh, that's the best one. Like, that's the best. What, so all, all the birds, all the ducks, all the geese, they're FBI spy or some kind of surveillance. Like, yeah. How, how, who's listening to all of this? Well, so, but you know, that's, that started as, as a way to mock the people that say like the earth is flat. It, it, it was literally a, a, uh, a spoof. It was literally a, um, a, a way to, to show the absurdity of, you know, of, of people, some people's conspiracy theories, like birds aren't real. And then you go, well, of course they are. There's like five in my yard right now. And you're like, no, nope, no, nope, not real. And then, and then that's, that's how frustrating I think it is for some people is that, and I, I get it. We're overwhelmed. We're scared. And so we, we're going to latch on to something and, you know, whatever that is. It, but then also, too, like you find your people, don't you? Like if you walk into some oh, bar yeah. and you just and you scream, birds aren't real. And one guy in the corner is like, darn right, brother. Well, you know who you're drinking with that <laughs> night. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, let's hang out. This is going to be good. You're right, though. Yeah, and social media does that to people too. Like you can find anything you want anymore. There's somebody else, no matter how extreme you believe. There's somebody that is on the other side of you still. And and the thing about that is that because we live in such a wacky age of of people believing all kinds of stuff, it makes those of us that have worked in the fringe for many years, like paranormal, uh, get lumped in sometimes. And you're like, oh, that's a bummer because. I don't know. I think I'm a pretty open-minded person. I'm, I'm, 
you know, I, I love talking about this. I think the discussion is important. People who don't believe in it are fine with me. I'm not angry at you. We, we don't have to fight. Like we can get along. It's okay. Um, I'm not here to say my way is right and yours is wrong. I just think the discussion is important. And even if you don't believe in ghosts, events from our past will haunt us. Guaranteed. Like, you know, unsolved murders will haunt us because we don't like that. We don't want that to happen. Uh, where, where terrible tragedies occurred haunt us, you know, uh, whether it's a natural disaster that killed a bunch of people or, uh, you know, an act of terrorism that killed a bunch of people that haunts us because we know that could have been us in that building, that could have been someone we love in that building just going to work. Uh, those events can and should. Gettysburg, where you you said your experience happened, that should haunt us. I, I, whenever people say today, like how divided America is, oh, we're so divided, we're so divided. I'm like, please go to Gettysburg. Just go stand there. And, and I imagine like all the ghosts of the Confederates and all the ghosts of the you know Union soldiers who died there rising from the ground, looking at you and going, <laughs> tell us about how divided America is right now. People are arguing on the internet. You poor thing. Do you need a hug? Right? Like this is divided. <laughs> This is what divided looks like. Gettysburg. That's division. What you're going through right now is just political arguments and you got to get over it. Um, so I think these these haunted places have so much to teach us about our past, connect us to our past and let us sort of better process our present. Yeah, I, <laughs> you're so right. So let's let's skip into Ghost Adventures for a minute because sure. We got to go there. It's Haunted Falls, so we got to get into this a little bit because that's your claim to fame in the haunted world, right? Well, oh, one I would them. like to think one of them. Yeah, yeah, one of them. We'll we'll, we'll walk that back a minute. Uh, yeah. So take me back before, like right before then, when it came to you and said, "Hey, we've got this idea." Like, how do they find you? How do they, you know, like get me right into that moment where you start in? Yeah, sure. So way back in two thousand eight. Um, I was already an author. I'd been, I was running Ghost Village. I had written several books by that point about haunted places all over the world. And uh, Zach Bagans, uh, they did this documentary for the Sci-Fi Channel, this two-hour special. And I, I was not involved with that at all. They they made it. Uh, they did it all themselves. It was uh, Zach, Nick, and Aaron uh, did that. And that documentary served as basically the pilot uh, that they were shopping around. Like, hey, we think this could be a series. And Travel Channel greenlit the series for eight episodes. And Zach went to my buddy, Dave Schrader, and said, hey, man, I need someone who knows haunted places and research like all over. And he said, oh, you want Jeff Belander? And so Zach called me. That's how we got introduced. And I was like, well, I've written for books and magazines and newspapers. I've never worked in television. Like, this will be cool. And it was just supposed to be eight episodes. That was it. We're going to do an eight episode series. <laughs> and it was really cool to be part of something new because... The thing about a television show is you need to sort of come up with a, a formula. You need to come up with a, a secret sauce recipe. It's actually not a secret. The, the, the viewers get used to seeing, you know, the way it goes each week. And so it was neat to be part of these discussions and everybody was allowed to spit out ideas. And if it worked, you tried it. And if it didn't work, you, you know, you left it on the cutting room floor. And we started to film this series and it was really exhausting. It was a ton of work and we finished. And I was like, well, that was fun. Like that was a cool little stint. And then it started to air in the fall of 2008. And the Travel Channel was like, guys, we got a hit. Like, how fast can you get back to work? And we said, I don't know, I guess tomorrow. And they said, great. Like, let's <laughs> let's start filming some new episodes tomorrow. 
And so that was our last day off all the way up until really COVID. And even then it was just a break. And then we sort of figured out ways to still try to film episodes. So uh, one season turned into two, turned into three, turned into four. And I don't even know what number we're up to at this point because we have our own internal numbering system. But it's it's been 15 years of people watching the show. And sometimes people are like, oh, it's been so long since there's new episodes. We never stop making new episodes. It's just we're loading up a queue, you know, so they, they might wait till they have like eight or 10 or 12 of them and then start airing them while we're still filming the next round. So it's been amazing. Uh, I'm literally, you know, they're filming this week. I just turned that episode in a few days ago. And in two more weeks, we'll be, you know, on to the next one. And so it's been an incredible ride. It's allowed me to do some great stuff, meet some great people. And, um, and yeah, it's still going well. And now, now it's on Discovery. So it's, um, we've moved over from travel to Discovery. It's also on the streaming service Max. And it's just been a wild ride. So I've got a question for you, just like this book. I mean, it's, it's out now, but when did you finish it? I finished that last summer. Which was funny because yeah. I was I was on my I was like listening to Christmas music and like shorts and a t-shirt just to try to keep up my headspace. So yeah, that was uh, last summer, and then it went through the edit, then it went to print, and it just came out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying though, because you've got you know like whatever you filmed last week won't be out for another two two and a half years. No, 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 right? no. Not, our our turnaround is much no, faster okay. on Ghost Adventures. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this week's episode, I'll tell you. Uh, I won't tell you where, but. <laughs> Uh, so, so this week is nine nineteen nine. Okay. So, um, whoops, wrong month. There we go. So it'll, it'll air, but probably like six to eight weeks is what we're looking at. Oh, so, uh, yeah, later fall. Count my fingers here. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and that's and that's only because we're, we're in we're in a season now um and then in the winter we're, we'll start filming new episodes that may not air for a few months but but it, it's not that far it's never it's never more than like four or five months that's probably about the longest so how long does it take from start to finish because you said you just sent one in so how long does that take yeah sure so I'll, I'll tell you how it works the um once a location's picked picked it goes to me and then I start with the research, looking for people that are have stories to share on camera, share on camera. setting up all the, um, you know, setting up all the history and stuff like that. And then that's usually a week or two. And then they film over the course of a week. And then it goes to the edit, which can last at least another five weeks. So, yeah, you're looking at like, you know, eight weeks or so per episode of work. That's, that's incredible. That's that's why I wanted to get to right. This is not a yeah. you, you drop you drop your camera bag. You go eh, and then you uh, eject yeah. the tape. Oh God, I stayed in myself right there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Betamax comes out at that point, and then you yeah you start editing. Yeah, um, then, you, then you sit there and record it, uh, and then you have an episode like two days. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 really it's um it's an interesting industry to work in and uh work with some like amazing people and it's it's all about like how do we take you into a haunt, right? How do we get you there with us and make you feel part of it and feel the feelings that like Zach and you know Aaron and Billy and, and Jay feel and, and stuff like that? Like how do how do we do that? And that's I mean Everything I do, whether I'm, I'm doing my podcast or live stories or, or writing a book, like that's 
all I think about is how do I get you in there with me? Uh, how do I do it? Make you feel what I'm feeling and see what I'm seeing. And that's, that's the nature of, you know, working in media, I guess. Um, because I think, because I care, right? I care about these stories and I want as many people as possible to be there with us. So I'm going to ask you a two for question here. I'm going to get you two questions and then you can answer them both. What's your favorite place that you've been? And is there still a place you want to go? Yeah. So uh, I think one of my favorites was the White House in Washington, D.C. Uh, I got to write a, a children's book about the ghost of the White House called Who's Haunting the White House? And it was really incredible to get to go there and interview some of the staff and see the place, you know, walk around inside and learn that the staff was very forthcoming about their ghost experiences. And by staff, I mean, like, there's about 100 employees of the White House that work for the White House. It doesn't matter which political party's in power. These are the butlers, the cleaning crew, the groundskeepers, the cooks, and so on. Like, whoever wins the next election, they'll still be there. And they'll be there after that person. You know what I mean? And and they're they're apolitical. They have to be. You know, they're not they're not pundits, right? So they just, they serve their country, they love history, and they serve that building, and they serve the presidency. And uh, they're, they're just like, oh yeah, I've seen ghosts. And, and you, you realize like, these are some of the most reliable witnesses we will ever find. Even though presidents have said they've seen ghosts, presidents can be on drugs. They can be crazy. They can be senile. They can be uh, delusional and, and criminals. Doesn't matter. You can be president and all those things. However, if you're a butler in the White House, you're drug screened, you're psych screened, right? They check you out all the time because you're around the president, first family, and foreign heads of state. You have to be on your game all the time, guaranteed and tested. So when they say they've seen a ghost, that's as good a witness as we will ever, ever find uh, anywhere. And so that was amazing. Um, and so a place I would love to go. All right, I'm going to answer with the same location. As a regular citizen, I'm not allowed up on the second or third floor of the White House unless I'm invited by the first family uh, or president. And since I like to keep my presidential uh, campaign contributions right about at zero, that's where I'm comfortable, like giving them absolutely <laughs> nothing whatsoever because I don't know what I'm getting for my money. And I've I've been consistent throughout my life and, and will remain so. Um, I don't typically get invited up to the living area. I would love to spend a night in the Lincoln bedroom. So if a president ever wants to talk ghosts, call me, uh, but I will not contribute. I'm right there. Behind you. Yeah. Yeah. We could, oh. we could go to the Oval Office and talk about it yeah. for a few minutes. <laughs> you won't get a dime from me other than my tax dollars, but I would love to, uh, love to get up there and see it. Okay. I'll pony up and give you a dime then. <laughs> That's about all I'd maybe part with for a president. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's funny you mentioned the White House because I had a guest on, oh, probably five years ago, former Secret Service agent, told me about another former Secret Service agent who shot at a ghost in the basement. He seen a figure and just pulled up and shot at it. And there was nothing there. I'll, so I spoke to some Secret Service agents when I was there. And um, first of all, they're, they're standing in every room of the White House. And I was asking like, oh, you know, I mean, like they could say like, oh, this painting was a gift from King so-and-so of wherever. And the frame was made by, made of mahogany that came from this state. And this desk was a gift of so-and-so. And the rug was brought in in 1994 by, you know, whoever. And, and I said, oh, what do you know about the ghosts? And without a pause, he said, well, people have seen a British redcoat out near the North Portico. And I went, <laughs> oh, well, you said that in the same way you talked about the frame, the desk, the rug. Like, 
is this federal recognition of the existence of ghosts? And he was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, he's got a gun, so <laughs> I press it. But, yeah. um, but again, they're just, they know the stories. And that building has seen some stuff. It was burned to the ground in the War of 1812, right? Um, it, it was just an empty stone shell after that. And the decisions made in that building have changed borders, you know, in, in, in the world and have affected billions of lives, not just Americans. It's, it's a powerful place. When you're standing there, you're just like, whoa, every president stood where I'm standing right now. All of them, you know, um, it's really a powerful, powerful place. And presidents have alluded to it being haunted. And I, I just love that it's got so much history to it, but also this other layer um, where, you know, pre presidents are aware when they move in, especially if they've got kids and first family members, right? They're just like, you're moving into a haunted house. Enjoy. <laughs> What's wrong with this, right? Isn't now. that what the meme says, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can we go to a haunted house, president, dad? Uh, what's wrong with this one? Good night. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned your podcast. And of course, being a podcaster myself, I always laugh because I've been after this 13 years now. And I have the original like goals for the show. Mm -hmm. and it was like a, less than six months, right? I just wanted to talk to some people and get out. And now we're still here six hundred and some odd in and going strong. Right. It's just one of those things that kind of becomes addiction and takes over. So you've been at yours for quite a while, too. So take me back. What made I mean, obviously you probably wanted to just talk to people like I do. I'm assuming. No, our, we don't interview people on my podcast. People ruin everything. Oh, that, oh yeah. Oh, I have you so mixed up with somebody now. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to tell you. Um, so uh, New England Legends, the podcast was born six years ago on a night just like this one. Um, it was, it, it's actually a spinoff of a show I was producing and hosting for PBS called New England Legends. It was like a, a small series we did for some New England PBS stations. And the, my, my producing partner on that, we were like, God, there's so many great stories, but it's so expensive and time consuming to, to film a television show. And I was like, you know, podcasting, like we could, we could tell these stories short, sweet. Uh, we could use sound effects instead of, you know, filming reenactments, which gets really expensive and hard to do. Um, you know, things like per filming permits and insurance and all the stuff that runs up. I'm like, <laughs> what if we did like documentary, you know, documentary audio. And so uh, I partnered up with a, my buddy Ray, who's a, a morning guy on a local radio station who's interviewed me before. And we started sort of crafting these stories super short in the beginning. They were just about 10 minutes. Now the shows are about 20 minutes. And we, we have voice actors, we have music, we have sound effects. And the whole idea is, how did we get to now? Like, why are we talking about this lake having a monster? Why are we talking about this house being haunted? And we go back in time and we use old newspaper reports and things like that. And we have voice actors sort of walk us through the history that left a mark that led to the legend. And it's been awesome. Like, we've, we've, like we've crossed 5 million downloads now. And, and we've got people from all over that are sort of feeding us story ideas. So... What's great is like, you know, in the old days, you had to search and search for your next story. And now you just open your email and someone's like, hey, have you heard about this? And I love these weird, obscure legends. So we cover true crime. We cover ghosts. We cover UFOs, aliens, uh, roadside oddities and just like like wacky eccentrics that have sort of left a mark on New England. And it's been so much fun to like, you know, build this community. We're not as, we haven't done as many episodes as you We're up, we're up to like 320 or so. But it's um, but we've done it every week for six years. Yeah, yeah, no, it's but it's been it's been super fun to just um, 
to to tell these stories and and do it like in an old timey way. It's like we're trying to be a documentary, but it, with audio. And um, you know, pretty rarely we interview people because you know it's 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 hit or miss. And oh, trust uh, it's me, just, it's I different it. format. <laughs> I know you do. I get yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as soon as we're done, you're gonna There's be like, "I'm gonna delete this. This sucked." <laughs> no, no, this one's pretty good. Um, no, so uh, urban legends and stuff. Somebody told me a story once about a, a, a house in a neighborhood. I won't go too far because you know I'll tell you the rest of the story here. Uh, so I said, "Okay, I've got to find out." So I drove by where they said it was, and I seen a foundation for a house. I'm like, "Okay," so that checks out. So I went down to the municipal building and I said, "Hey, can you tell me about the house that sits up on this road?" And she's like, "Well, what do you want to know?" And I said, "Was it haunted?" And she's like, sorry, we're closed. Yeah, that's not a good because, opening question, Jim. <laughs> no, no, that wasn't the opening question, but it was, you know, I just point blanked it that way to her. Yeah. Right. And she didn't want to talk. You know, that was the end of it because I wanted, you know, I asked when the, when did the house get torn down, you know, playing it into it. Right. And then I asked point blank and she's like, sorry, we're closed because the report was right before they tore the house down, plates were being thrown out of the cabinets at the people that live there. And then when they came to tear it down, stuff was flying out the windows. That's cool. I love that. It was. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So, I, I like that kind of confirmed it, though. Like, something weird was going on out there. Right, right. And she, then they she's been down. with the borough for like 30 years, and this happened like 15 ago. So, hey, yeah, she was there. She knows. <laughs> like, she knows something was going on. <laughs> yeah, you know, once in a while, these these stories uh, they make the news. Uh, they make you know uh, people's journals and letters and and so on. They get on television shows, whatever. Um, so when I use the word legend, sometimes people get a little ruffled over that because they think it means just a made up story. And I don't mean that at all. I think often there's a, a, a paranormal catalyst, something that launches the legend. But at some point, the story does take over, and stories change over time as different people tell it. You know and it goes from plates flying out of the cabinet to knives coming out of the drawers and flying at people's heads and, you know, like, and then the house trying to eat you and all this other stuff. Like that's, it's the telephone game as a kid, right? It's, it's, yeah. that's how <laughs> this stuff works. And it doesn't mean people are liars or they're just natural storytellers and they can't help but sort of embellish along the way. Um, however, uh, that being said, it's, um, I love every part of it because a legend becomes a living, breathing thing on its own, like that house, like, People yeah. that know about this stuff sort of know about it and people talk about it. And then you want to go there and you went there because you wanted to become part of the story, right? You, you wanted to see it for yourself. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's more than just a story. There's a foundation here. There was a house and then you kept going, you know, and you asked the questions and that's really cool. You connected with the past. And then you kind of get that confirmation bias when you hear, no, no, we're not, I'm not talking about that. Cause well, right. And, and you could, see, you could see it like, yeah. yeah. I was the wrong person. <laughs> well, well, right. And, and people, but people are also like, I mean, that's, that's a loaded word for some people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like some people are, it's, um, it's against my belief system. Maybe they're religious and they view this as heresy. Uh, maybe they're atheists or, or, or skeptics and do not want to hear about this. Um, or they're just judging you. Like you're a kook. I, I don't want any more to yeah. do with this. And you know, I, I've got that t-shirt too. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And you're like, eh, kind of guilty as charged. That doesn't mean I don't have legit questions, but yeah, I can be both. Uh, yeah. I completely get it. I get it. I, and what's cool is like, so with me, I mean, I work for Travel Channel and Discovery. I work for PBS and I'm an author. So 
I can usually find a way in to discussing someone's building. I can say, hey, I'm a, I'm a producer and researcher with PBS. Everyone listens to that because they know we're broke. You know what I mean? And they're just like, and it's true. I'm not lying. I'm not being deceptive. We might, I'm looking for a story and that might be where I put it. And so, you know, but you get people talking and you go, you know what? We like the weirder side of these stories. Is there anything strange about it? And sometimes people look around and they go, you know, well, they say it's haunted. I go, oh, go on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you let them, you let them offer it. And then you see where it goes. I had an interview of a client once because we were running a paranormal team and she's like, nope, the place isn't haunted. But let me, Susie, come here. And she tells us a ghost story. Yeah. Susie does, tells us this ghost story. And then she's like, nope, it's not. The owner goes, no, it's not haunted. Oh, Joe, come here. These people want to hear a ghost story. I, and then so, he tells us a different story. Yeah, no, I <laughs> so get it. Like, um, working on ghost adventures. I've talked to someone last week who's, you know, we're doing a historic building. I can't say any more than that, but whatever. It's, it's um, uh, this person has worked there for a number of years. He's like, look. I don't believe in ghosts at all. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I don't, I don't need you to. That's fine. He goes, yeah, I don't believe in ghosts, but I was closing up, uh, you know, at the end of the night and this man walked through the room and, and in the back where the bathrooms are. And I was like, Hey, we're closed. And so I followed him back and there's nobody there. And I opened both bathrooms, the men and the women's room, because at this point it's just the staff left. And he's like, and there's no one in the bathroom, but I don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> and I went, great. I, what would you like to call that? I mean, you know, pick your label. It's fine with me. But I'm, but I'm like, I love, I actually prefer that. When you say, I don't believe in ghosts, but I saw this guy and he disappeared. I'm like, got it. That's, you don't need to believe in ghosts. You can continue not believing in ghosts. But it sure did sound like a duck and quack like a duck and look like a duck from my perspective. So I'm going to say duck, but you call it whatever you like. So I've got... Well, I've got two more questions, I guess. Um, has there ever been a place that was pitched to you that you started researching and you're like, ugh, there's not a lot of good story here? Oh, tons, tons of them. Uh, so, you know, the internet is filled with uh, just wrong information, as you can imagine. <laughs> so someone will be like, oh, this is where this whole massacre took place and uh, and all these people were killed and it's so wicked haunted now and, and people are afraid to go to this like this old canyon shack. And then you start looking and I'm like, massacres tend to make history books. You know what I mean? Like they, they're not Most hidden. Often, yeah. Yeah. They're not, they're not really hidden. And so uh, I started researching and you realize like, oh, there really was a massacre, but it wasn't this Canyon. It was a completely different Canyon, like 40 miles away. And then you say, okay, there was a shack here, but it was a hermit who lived out here like 20 years ago. This wasn't where the family was killed. Right. And then so, so you, you do more research and you realize like, oh, all the elements are true. It's just people sort of said like, oh, remember that canyon where the massacre happened? Yeah, that's this canyon. Oh, right. And they don't they're just confused. And so that becomes the massacre canyon. The shack becomes the house where all the children lived and were killed. And, and so these these different truths from far away kind of came together into one spot. And then you say, well, it, it's just it's not true. It, it, there's no, nothing to back this up. This isn't where we, where we need to be. And then, you know, you let it pass you by. That's the key, right? Okay. Yeah. So the famous last question for the Maori report, this Ooh. is, this is difficult. Ready. What's your, what's your favorite breakfast? I prefer the savory breakfast. 
So if you've got the buffet, and I hope you do, I'm thinking like eggs and bacon (laughs) and sausage. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. I got that on the buffet for sure. (laughs) Yeah. That's my, that's my favorite. I'm not so much a sweet breakfast person as the savory. That's how I roll. Sounds good, Jeff. Well, thank you. And hang out with me for just a second. Thank you, Jim. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days being a grown up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, I think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) (laughs) Right.